Hello there, and welcome to my corner. Today, I'm going to respond to an email I got from Dermot in Australia. Not being from America, he doesn't understand why the presidential inauguration is such a big event with all the dancers and performers. He also felt that other people not from America might also enjoy some insight. So what is an inauguration anyways? As one president's term ends and another begins, there is a ceremony. Its importance is one of symbolism rather than substance. The Constitution is clear. On January 20th, there will be a transfer of power, but there's no mention of an inauguration. By definition, ritual acts have no direct effect on the world. A ceremonial event is one that symbolically affirms something that happens by other, more direct means. In this case, the election, not the inauguration, makes the president, although an oath is required before exercising his power. In 2009, Barack Obama misplaced one word when reciting the presidential oath of office, and as a result, he decided to retake the oath the next day. And in 2017, Donald Trump insisted that his inauguration was attended by a record-setting crowd, even as everyone's eyes saw otherwise. He saw the size as an attendance of a measure of his legitimacy. Throughout history, all human societies have used rituals to mark major events and transitions. Personal landmarks like birthdays and weddings, group accomplishments such as graduations, and government transitions of power. Those ceremonies send signals that command our attention and strengthen the perceived importance of those moments. Ritual actions involve formality, precision, and repetition. A priest must wear a special garment. A prayer must be uttered word for word, and a mantra might be recited 108 times. These features make rituals appear similar to more goal-directed actions. A judge banging a gavel resembles a carpenter hammering a nail. Due to these similarities, our brains assign those acts as actual power. Inaugural events, including parades, have become more elaborate over the years and have evolved into spectacular entertainments. Selection of parade and participants is a traditional way for a president to make a statement about his beliefs. Abraham Lincoln did in 1865 by inviting African Americans to march for the first time in history. Presidents have celebrated in many ways since George Washington danced the minute after his inauguration. James Madison and his wife Dolly were the guests of honor at the first official inaugural ball, held at Long's Hotel in Washington, D.C. Since that time, such activities have been broadened to include a cross-section of the American population. Receptions, balls, and other public events reflect the president's need to include many diverse groups in the transition of power and even at times, officially sanctioned protesters. More than a celebration of one person's rise to power, modern inaugurations validate the republic's democratic processes. Modern inaugural festivities reflect not only on the president they honor, but also the desire of many Americans to celebrate our nation's rich history and the transfer of presidential power. In order to ensure a smooth transition of power, there is a need for a period of time between the election and the swearing in of the new president. New presidents have to choose cabinet members, other key administration members, as well as a get up to speed on security issues and simply begin the task of physically moving a new team to Washington. For the old president, this time in office was referred to as the lame duck period, a term taken from the Wall Street that used to refer to people 
who could not pay off their loans, like the lame duck president without much capital. Before the enactment of the 20th Amendment in 1933, the new president was not sworn in until March following the election. This long delay caused problems. In the succession winter after the election of Abraham Lincoln, President James Beckenham watched as secessionists seized federal forts and arsenals. By March 1861, when Lincoln finally took office, the Civil War was nearly lost before it even began. Seven decades later, in the middle of the Great Depression, the lame duck period of the president, Herbert Hoover, seemed far too long. Hoover and Franklin Roosevelt barely communicated, and the country waited for decisive action from its newly chosen leader. In response, the 20th Amendment was proposed and adopted. The 20th Amendment moves the date of inauguration from March to noon of the 20th of January. Under the Constitution, the old president continues to hold power through 11.59 a.m., and then power shifts at noon. Article 2, Section 1 requires that the new president, before executing any duties, take a prescribed oath or affirmation. To avoid a constitutional power vacuum, the Inauguration Day program is certain to schedule in the swearing-in for as close as possible to noon. The Chief Justice of the United States typically administers the oath, although the Constitution does not require that the oath be performed by the Chief of Justice. And here's some fun facts about the U.S. inaugurations. Though Washington owned a lot of land, more than 50,000 acres of it, in addition to Mount Vernon, he was considered land poor, meaning he didn't always have a lot of cash at his disposal. His bank account was so dry, he actually had to borrow money to travel to New York City for his first inauguration. Following Washington's first inauguration, the Continental Congress declared March 4th as Inauguration Day. That day remained in place until the ratification of the 20th Amendment in 1933. Franklin D. Roosevelt was the first president to be inaugurated on the new date for his second inauguration in January 20th, 1937. For many years, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson had been close friends. Together, they helped create the Declaration of Independence, worked in Europe as fellow diplomats, and even stolen a piece of Shakespeare's favorite chair. Seriously. But as their political careers diverged, the two became rivals. When Jefferson was inaugurated on March 4, 1801, Adams was nowhere to be found. Eight hours before the big event, he'd left Washington and started making his way back to his family farm in Braintree, Massachusetts. This made Adams the first president who chose to skip his successor's swearing-in ceremony. History repeated itself 28 years later when John Quincy Adams boycotted Andrew Jackson's inauguration like father, like son. In an effort to demonstrate what he deemed Republican simplicity, Jefferson opted to walk to and from his inauguration, which was in stark contrast to the pomp and circumstance displayed by his predecessors. According to the Alexandria Times, Jefferson wore the clothes of a plain citizen without any distinctive badge of office and walked from New Jersey Avenue and C Street, where he had been staying at a boarding house, to the Capitol. In 1849, Zachary Taylor refused to be sworn in on a Sunday because he was very strict about keeping holy to the Sabbath. The position of president couldn't just be vacant until Monday, so the president pro tempore of the Senate, David Rice Atchison, was brought in as a pinch hitter. There's some debate as to whether this actually makes him the 12th president and Zachary Taylor the 13th, 
but obviously it's generally accepted that this doesn't count. He didn't even state claim to the title and repeatedly told people that he slept through most of his day as president. He must have had a good sense of humor about the whole thing though, as evidenced by the inscription on his gravestone, which read, President of the United States for one day. When he was inaugurated in March 4, 1853, Franklin Pierce became the only president to affirm the office of president rather than swear it, and did not use the Holy Bible. He did so as he was in the midst of a crisis of faith. He was still in the reeling from the death of his only son, Benjamin, who had died in a train crash two months earlier. When Andrew Johnson was inaugurated as vice president in 1865, he was totally trashed. He was very ill from typhoid fever and drank whiskey to try to numb the aches and pains a little. Except he overdid it and ended up slurring his way through his oaths. Then he tried to swear in the new senators, but got too confused and had to let a senate clerk complete his duties instead. For his part, Abraham Lincoln defended his vice president, assuring the public, I've known Andrew Johnson for many years. He made a slip the other day, but you need not to be scared. Andy ain't a drunkard. If you look at old inauguration photos, you might notice something. The president-elect is almost always wearing a top hat. For years, one of the odder parts of the pomp and circumstance of the inaugural festivities was that the man about to get sworn in is always donned a top hat. It's not clear why or when this tradition started, but it dates back to at least James Garfield's inauguration in 1881. Why it endured long after top hats went out of style is up for a debate, although some historians speculate that wearing the formal out-of-date headgear gave the inauguration another little touch of ceremony. Kennedy was the last president to sport the top hat in his inauguration in 1961. No-nonsense Lyndon Johnson left the fashion statement off the guest list in 1865, thereby depriving the world of what would surely have been a hilarious photo of Lyndon Johnson wearing a ridiculous hat. So hopefully that clears things up a bit. America has its many ways of celebrating milestones, and each president has their own ways as well. It's a way that they can take the first step of their presidency and help pave the mood of the years to come. And I'll leave you with this quote from the man who wore the top hat the best, Abraham Lincoln. Always walk slowly, but never walk backwards. And that's my fun fact. Thanks for walking over.